0: If you have your bibles turn with me to ephesians 6 now i'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going over the armor i'm not going to do an exhaustive teaching on that but i want to share a few things with you i want to do a little more in-depth stuff with second timothy where we're going to go over there The Apostle Paul, being used by the Holy Spirit, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I've, I've shared this. I shared this, I think, this week with someone. that You and I are not the Johnny-come-latelys that the devil don't know how to deal with. The devil's been chewing up people and spitting them out for 6,000 years. All he wants to do is destroy our lives. He's good at lying. He's good at offering temporal things to get people distracted. But he is he's under the authority of God. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let me ask you a question. Are you running from the devil more than he's running from you? The Bible says that if we submit ourselves to God, resist Satan, he will flee from us. That's a different life, isn't it? Instead of people all the time getting beat up from, by the devil, the, the devil's trying to get away from them. What about a life like that? He says that we may be able to stand for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So he's trying to get that point across. Now, we see the battles in the Old Testament. Those are types and shadows of what we're going to engage in in the New Testament because we're in the spiritual realm. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. We saw a little bit of that with Daniel when he was in a battle and the Michael came eventually after 21 days of a battle going on and he says there's against this age against spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he says you're doing battle against things you don't see. There's spiritual war going on and he's challenging us to put on the whole armor and then he gives it to us. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Now Your life has to be governed by truth, not your ideas, not your opinions. I'm tired of talking to people that know one verse in the Bible. (laughs) I'm tired of politicians running and grabbing one verse and not reading it and can't even pronounce it right when they read it. You need to get in this word. I want to say something to you. I don't care how happy you are. I don't care how much you sing. I'm going to say something else here. I don't care how much you pray. If you don't get in this Word, the devil's going to clean your clock. This is it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will stand forever. And we don't need any excuses. This is our spiritual food. This is what sustains us spiritually. It's what gives us power and direction and everything else. We don't need Christians saying, I feel. We need Christians saying, I know and I have believed in whom I believe. That's what we need, people grounded in the Word of God. It's a life changer. So he says, having your loins is the way the New King James says it. Your life-giving source needs to be consumed with truth. Truth should govern you and everything that comes out of your life should be governed with truth. There's a lot I could say about that, but I'll stop there. Having the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And listen to what he says. Above all, above all, taking the shield of faith. Why would he say that? Because it's impossible to please God without faith. You and I are never going to please. I don't care how good. I don't care how many soup lines you stand in. I've done all that. I don't care how many mission trips you go on. If you don't have faith, you're not pleasing God. We got to stop doing those things that make us feel better and start doing the things that makes God feel better. And that means having faith, living by faith, stepping out in faith, trusting him. Going back to what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the block logic. Taking God at His word, even though you don't know what's around the next corner, He does. That's how God's called us to live, to take Him at His Word, not trying to figure everything out. You and I are going to do a bad job at that anyway, right? God doesn't need our ideas. What He's looking for is some people who will be obedient to His Word. And when He speaks that Word, to step out on it. What do you think about Matthew and those guys at the tax collectors? The Bible says immediately they left their jobs. They didn't give a two-week notice. They didn't do any of that. They... When his word came, they stepped out on it. That's where we've got to get. If we're gonna see the things that we read about and we saw some, thank God for the prayers that went up for Daryl. Yeah. Amen. Look at him over there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, praise God for that. All you believers that were in here Wednesday night when we took time to pray for Daryl could have been a war. I mean, God's moving in that, so he's I mean he's at church today. Raise his hand. <laughs> Amen. God is on our side and He's fighting our battles for us. He wants us to trust Him and believe in Him. And as we do believe in Him and take Him at His word, and every time we get a little problem, don't look to somebody, look to God. Start looking to God. The Bible says, let your requests be made known unto God. Let's start taking our stuff to God. Your best friend might be a good friend, but he's not God. And she's not God. And she don't have all power. And he don't have all power. But God does. So he tells us, he says, take above all, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and above all, and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. So He wants us to get ready to do what? Battle. You, I'm not going to take the time. Most everybody understands those pieces there. But He wants us to be ready for a war. We're in a war. Now, here's the first thing that we cannot forget as Christians. We're in a war. If we forget that we're in a war, we'll become susceptible to the things of the world. We won't, we won't, get, our, we won't get the job done, and we'll forget the price that's been paid not only with Christ Jesus, but all those other ones who've paid the price over the years to keep the movement going, Christianity, we call it. So we're in a war. We didn't choose this war. In a sense, we kind of did because we, Adam and Eve, chose this war by stepping into sin. If you want to know why we're in this mess, go back to the garden. But before you throw stones at Adam and Eve, realize just go look in the mirror and realize you would have blown it too if you'd have been in the garden. We don't have any stones to throw at them. But now we're in a war. We're in a war, and this war is between God and Satan. And we're caught in the middle. And we're called to choose sides. And by not choosing Jesus Christ to be a follower of His and to make Him Lord of your life, you are choosing sides. There's no middle ground. And so we don't have any stones to throw at Adam. If you don't like headship, then you better think again. Because the headship of Adam, he brought sin into the race, and that brought us all into sin. But the headship of Christ Jesus... Who is the last Adam is the only way out of here. So I'm good with headship because I am going into heaven on somebody else's coattail. His name's Jesus Christ. I am going in on his coattail. So I like headship because none of us could have gotten to God on our own anyway. The Bible, that's why the law was given. The law was given to prove to us our need for a Savior and our inability to get to God on our own. No one kept the law except Jesus Christ. He was the only one that could keep the law. Moses, We could go all down the line. All those guys failed. All those men and women failed. But now we have a secure Savior who if we put our lives in Him, we have entrance into eternal life. And not only that, but all the good things that God has in store for those who love Him. So let's go to 2 Timothy. I want to spend a little time here in 2 Timothy. Let me show you. This where I want to dig around a little bit. This is talking about being in a war. And Timothy gives us some... Paul gives us some good instruction here in Timothy. Chapter 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's what he's saying to Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier... Of Jesus Christ. Now he's telling, he's getting him prepared for what? For a battle. Because the devil, the, the true believer has shrank so much and churches that are really sticking with the word have shrank so much in the last 50, 60 years, the devil has a smaller group of people to attack. Because you know some of the crazy things that are going on in churches and the world's lost their mind. And there are fewer and fewer people really dedicated to following Jesus Christ. So that shrinks the pool, right? So the enemy can focus more attention. So that means the warfare for those of us that are really wanting to serve God and do His will and stand for His word is going to become greater and more intense. I've noticed that for the last month. My wife can tell you that I'm up most of the night on Saturday night because I've never seen the amount of warfare to get into this pulpit and to have church service that I've seen in 30-some years. Now, the good news is I'm more equipped to handle it because I've been walking with the Lord a long time. He equips us the more we follow Him, but there is great warfare. And I believe that's because the enemy can focus more of his resources on a smaller, smaller group of people around the world we got brothers and sisters in Africa that their lives are at stake every day they go to church. we got brothers and sisters around the world that are facing persecution. We're facing some level of mouthing persecution in this country. It'll probably get worse. It'll probably get worse. We saw some of the comments uh, that come out of some of the last things we've seen going on in our culture that Christians are hated in a lot of circles. But Jesus told us that we would be hated. And he told us that we would be in a warfare. He told us that we'd be engaged in a warfare. Now, what Paul is trying to encourage encourage us to remember, that we are in that war right here. You're going to endure some things. That word endure means to uh, able to suffer evil. Now, who told you that everybody was going to be nice to you? Tell your neighbor, everybody's not going to be nice to you. Just go ahead and tell them. Who told you that everything was going to go your way? Now, last week I preached on uh, being disappointed, right? We've all faced disappointment. But you and I are followers of Jesus Christ. You know, he made a big statement. He said, the world hated me and it's going to hate you. So we're not going to escape that. And those who are godly in Christ Jesus, now those are the, the committed ones, not people who play church. There are a lot of people who play both ends of the middle, right? Or as they say where I grew up, there anybody's dog that'll hunt with them. Right? You know, dogs are usually loyal, but every now and then you'll get a dog that'll hunt with anybody, right? And so he that, that's how I'm not talking about those people, I'm talking about people who are committed. Those who live godly, who are following Christ. I'm not talking about perfection, but those who have an intent every day they wake up to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's their agenda. It's the first thing on their agenda. So we're gonna suffer. We're going to have some hardship. And that's what that word means there. It means endure. It means those who will uh, suffer evil. They'll be able. That's, I like the way it says that in the Greek. They'll be able to suffer evil. Are you able to do that? Can somebody say something to you and get you to back down? Quit? Walk out on Jesus? Somebody not shake your hand? Come on now. Somebody didn't speak to you? Your wife won't act right? I didn't get one amen on that. All the men are walking in step. As I said Wednesday night, you can have as much of God as you want to. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your children's fault. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not even the world's fault. How can anybody stop you from going as deep in God as you want to go? Nobody can. You can have as much of God as you want. Fully on the excuses, right? Follow Him. Love Him. Get into Him. He'll teach you things. And anybody that can hang on a cross after they've beat Him nearly till His organs were exposed and His back was shredded like hamburger and drive the spikes in His hands and His feet and shove a crown of thorns on His head. Anybody that can hang there and say, forgive everybody that done this, we need to follow them. Amen. Amen. I'm going to do some troubleshooting here in the near future with the church. You know what the first thing I'm going to tell them is? You've got to forgive. But, no buts. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. You have to forgive. And others have to. You've got to forgive and love. You've got to forgive and love. There's no exceptions to that. We don't get to decide when we forgive or not. It's illegal to hold unforgiveness in the kingdom of God. You don't get to decide when you get to forgive or not. You and I don't get to choose that. We have to forgive. And that's why Peter was asking Jesus. He said, how many times I forgive my brother? He said, 70 times 7 a day. That's 490 times a day. Has anybody been sinned against that many times? 489, I heard somebody say, no. Basically, what Jesus was referring to was the prophecy in Daniel. He's saying, you've got to keep forgiving until this thing's over. You have to forgive That's the chief thing in Christianity is that we've all been forgiven. And the very day we don't forgive, it's when we become like a Pharisee and think our sins were not as bad as somebody else's. We have to forgive. And then he says, he says, and Timothy says, You therefore endure hardship as a good soldier. No one engaged in warfare. The word engaged means to wage war. It's the verb there. So it means you're active in it. It's a verb. So not the concept of war, but you're actually engaged in that war. And we engage in that war with our praise, with our prayer, by equipping ourselves with God's Word, by gathering together with God's people. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And Paul said, do it more as you see the day coming. That's our call and then he says you're uh, engaged and then the next word is the three e's right endure engage and entangles himself the person who's engaged in the war does not entangle himself with what he does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life now if you if you go back to Luke 21 in fact let's do that flip back to Luke 21 real quickly here in Luke 21 verse 30 I think, 34 through 36 Jesus gives us a warning after He talks about the end of time He tells us a lot of things about the end of time here in Luke and this is the only place that we hear Jesus alluding to the rapture to the catching away of the saints in in Luke 21 verse 34 He says, take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing another word we would use for that would be partying and drunkenness, another word for that any, anything that makes you not in your natural state. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be drugs or anything. It says, uh, don't be weighed down with partying and drunkenness. And look at the next one. Cares of this life. I, that's the one that will trip church people up the most. Because most people have turned their back on those other things. We've got to get to the place where Paul did. The world's no longer any good for me and I'm no longer any good for them. We don't hang, we don't hang out because we don't match up. I'm going this way and they're going that way. But here's the big one. Cares of this life. And then he says that that day come upon you unexpectedly. So he's cautioning his followers to not get caught up in partying. There are people who do that. Drunkenness. Like I said earlier, anybody's dog hunt hunt with them. Play both ends in the middle. And cares of this life. That's the big one. And what I've noticed for 30-some years, I've watched people come into my office 30-some years. I've watched them put everything in front of God. Cares of this life. Sometimes it's another relationship. Sometimes it's another job. Sometimes it's something, a toy. Or sometimes it's their children. And we're supposed to love our children, but we ain't supposed to love them more than God. And the example we set by coming to God's house, worshiping, putting Him first in our life is imperative for them. And so He says, For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. What things? The things He just talked about. This is the only time that we see Jesus talking about the rapture. And that's the exception to the song we sang this morning. I ain't coming out no grave if Jesus is coming back first. But if He don't come back before I die, then I'm coming out of the grave. We have hope either way, right? We can't lose. Watch therefore always to be counted worthy to escape all these. Now, when you get to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains the rapture. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, right? And then he goes on to all that. Those that are dead in Christ will rise first. Those that are alive and reign will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. So he, he said, I'm going to unveil this mystery. Jesus just alludes to it. He said, there's a way you can escape all these things talking about the tribulation period. And then finally, he says that he endured, engaged, and he don't entangle. The word entangle means to be involved with, to be implicated or involved with or intertwined with. That's the problem with hanging around around bad stuff. Paul said in Corinthians that evil communications corrupt good manners. In other words, the people you hang out with will rub off on you some degree. The Bible tells us to come out from among the world and be separate. So we got to guard ourselves so that we don't get entangled with the things of this world. Now, if you're in a war, you cannot be distracted. And if you'll notice... How much, and I can't read all that to you this morning, but when Jesus would say things like He did there in Luke, He also said it when He was coming out of the garden. And He was, and he was uh, maybe frustrated with His followers when He said, you guys sleeping, you know? And they said, could you not just tarry with me or wait with me for an hour or pray with me? Finally, He comes back, and then He says, you got to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. So a soldier, who wants to be in the... Um, Bunker with soldiers that sleep all the time. Think about it. But there are a lot of Christians. And I'm not saying that anybody in this building's that way. But you can wear it if you need to wear it. But there are a lot of Christians that will go to church today as a formal thing. They will leave the building thinking they've done their due. And they won't give a hoot about God till next Sunday. They won't be engaged in a war at all. They'll be back to their business and their stuff. Now what the Bible calls us to do as Christians is to put God first. And so every day we should do that. Doesn't mean you can't have your job. Doesn't mean you can't have your life. But we shouldn't go between times and not have any interaction or any thought about God. But that's where we're at in this culture. A lot of people will go to church today and that's it. They don't have any action with the Holy Spirit or with Jesus Christ the rest of the week. That's not going to be us. So we're not going to entangle ourselves because we're going to stay engaged. And we've got to get ready with the armor of God because we're going to face evil. And we're going to have to be able to suffer some. Suffering is a part of God's plan for us. The Bible says that he that suffered in the flesh and Peter has ceased from sin. Now, I don't like it any more than you all do. I don't like suffering in the flesh. Does anybody like suffering in the flesh? Words. I don't even read social media, so I don't care what people think or say no. But suffering in the flesh. That's rough sometimes. You feel beat down, you feel discouraged, all those kind of things. But suffering brings us to a place where God wants us to be. It's part of the journey. Even Jesus learned obedience by the things He suffered. He told us He suffered, He was mistreated, we're going to face some of the same things. So here's what God's after. You're in a war and God's going to allow the warfare to go on. He could have, now let's just be real. Michael could have called more angels or God could have blew his nose and knocked all those demonic spirits over Babylon out of the way and went straight to Daniel. We know that. So what's God up to? What God is up to by allowing us to be in a war and by allowing us to be part of the warfare is God is building character. He's building character in us. Is that E-R or O-R? Did I leave something out? Everybody give the picture a hand for that. (laughs) Okay. So God's trying to build character in us. And part of that means we got to go through some suffering. Sometimes it's painful when we go through relationship suffering. Sometimes... Physical suffering is painful. But I want you to go to Romans chapter 5 with me and let me show you some things that God does in us while we suffer. You're in a war, so you can't, you're supposed to stay engaged in the war so you, don't, you and I don't get to take any times off. What do they used to give them, a three-day pass? <laughs> you don't get any time off. But you can get renewed and refreshed regularly. Can you say amen to that? Look what he says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I fuss during tribulations. Sometimes the children of Israel shows up in me. Complain. Feel sorry for myself. Won't know what's up. He says, we glory in tribulations knowing, here's what he said, That tribulation produces perseverance. And this is a word you've heard me use a lot here. The word is hupomone. And it has endurance, faithfulness, all that stuff in it. But it means, the main meaning is consistency. So tribulation produces consistency. I can also tell you this. In 30 some years... I've watched people go through trials who were half-hearted about God until they went through their trial, and they got in and picked it up. And that's probably a testimony a lot of us have to some degree. Find yourself out there trying to do your own stuff. Find yourself in a jam. God works through that kind of stuff. He loves us. So we know that tribulation produces hupomone. It produces consistency. So we're going to have some trials and some tribulations, as he calls them here. And perseverance, consistency produces what? Character. And character, hope. Let's just be real. If you ain't right with God, you don't have any hope. And if you're a believer and you're at odds with God, it messes with your hope, don't it? It messes with us a little bit. You know you should be honoring God here, and you're not. You've let something go, or you should have embraced something He's asked you to do, and there's a rub there. Let's just be real. When there's something between us and God, it's not comfortable being in His presence, if you're a believer. If you're lost, you don't have any hope. Because without Christ, there is no hope. Paul said, we don't sorrow as others who have no hope when somebody passes away that we know was a follower of Jesus Christ. So we have hope without a question mark because of who it's in. But there's a rub. Have you ever noticed that? My parents, and, and, and you can tell when your child's not feeling good around you, can't you? There's a rub, and, it's, and it, the same thing happens to us When we get at odds with God or we push Him aside or put Him off or don't obey Him, we feel awkward around Him. That's part of the conviction we have. So when people go through tribulations, there's conviction all around them. We know what happens to people who never have any resistance in their life. They generally don't turn out too well. And so God puts some resistance in our life. He takes us in the weight room because He's trying to build character. Let me take you back to Abraham for a minute. God was more interested in what Abraham was becoming than what he was getting accomplished. And boy, we all need to get that straight. Right today. You think you're the Johnny-come-lately? I'm not the Johnny-come-lately. How come we say Johnny? say about Larry. There's the larry come lately or whatever. You, you and I, you know who made Abraham's life go? Not Abraham. God did. So Abraham can't take any credit for those things anyway. And God does things that are just the opposite of the way we think. This is powerful stuff when you think about it. God calls him out, he, he, he leaves, but then he gets nervous because he's in a famine and he turns down into Egypt. And he's down in Egypt because they've got probably stuff, Walmarts or whatever, right? And so he, God orchestrates events in Abraham's life to have him kicked right back out into the famine. Why? Because God was going to show Abraham that he wanted him to lean on him and not things or people. He wanted him to, and God, he was in no more danger in the middle of the famine than he would have been in Egypt. Because God had taken care of him. He had taken responsibility for it. So Abraham was just called to journey. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. He may give us tasks along the way. Do your tasks and keep following. And don't be sending God emails about things you think you ought to be doing. Just follow. God don't need your ideas, and I'm not high on my horse. He don't need mine either. God's not waiting for people to come up with some good stuff for him to get his kingdom together. God is in charge. He's really wanting us to be like little children. To just simply follow him and do what he's asked us to do. And, that, and Abraham takes off. He's back out in the famine. But God was more interested in what Abraham was becoming and not what he was getting accomplished. Now somehow that stuff came into the church because that's the way the world lives. If you go out in the world in many churches and you say, are you blessed? And they would say yes. And if you ask them to enumerate it, the, most, the things that would come out of their mouths the most would be physical things. Am I telling you the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got this and I've got that. and God's. Well, that's true. God's the giver of all good things. But the greatest thing that's happened in our lives is that Jesus Christ has come down in our misery and pulled us up out of it and given us eternal life and hope without a question mark. That's the greatest thing that's happened in our lives. That's why I'm blessed. And so he says, says, that's what's going to produce character and character is going to produce that hope. Because when you take on the nature of God, you start thinking like God. You start believing His Word you start holding on to what He says. He says, now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because of who it's in. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who, who was given to us. Now that I'm born again, and I have a measure of the Spirit, and then as I'm filled with the Spirit, I have God so in me, how can I live in fear any longer? If God's inside of me, how can I be afraid? If the Holy Spirit's inside, it's this soulish man. We let that soulish man take on all the garbage, and then the spirit man's got to wrestle through all that stuff. That's what happens to us. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting things we cannot see. You're not fighting what you see. I read to you, this is from the 1200s. I've read this before, but it fits here. And I couldn't read it this morning without crying again. Bernard of Clairvaux, in the 1200s, wrote this. This may be the single best quote I've ever read in my entire life. Other than the Bible. He was talking about us being made in God's image and likeness and how we lost His likeness with the fall. And he made this statement. But their Creator, speaking of us, their Creator, seeking what was lost, followed the work of His hands, came down in mercy to where they lay in misery. He would experience for Himself what they rightly suffered for their disobedience. That's who Jesus was. He was not led by curiosity as they were, But by wondrous love, it was not His intention to remain with them in misery, but to raise them from it by His mercy. That's what Jesus has done. Now, if you own everything, and He does, and you're in control of everything, and He is, and you get the last say in everything, and He does, What do you think he's trying to build in your life? Character. That's what he's trying to build in all of our lives. Character. Character that's the same out of town as it is in town. Character that's the same at home as it is at work. He's trying to build character in us. God doesn't need our power. We don't have any to give him no way. He don't need our money. He don't need our stuff. He wants our heart. And when that devotion goes to Him, then the rest of the stuff we have, He can touch any way He wants to. Because our devotion is to Him. When He said, Peter, I want to launch out and take your boat and uh, preach a while, He said, that'll be $40. He didn't say that, did He? He said, take it. God's trying to build character in us, and we're going to need it in the last days. We need to be strong and courageous. Realize that we're in a warfare every day. The warfare has manifested itself naturally. I understand that. There are manifestations of the, the stuff that's going behind the scenes. But who do you think is behind death? The devil. The Bible says that the Lord doesn't want any. Look what he says. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath, from the wrath through him. This world is on a one way track for destruction, it's going to be destroyed. Man's not going to do it. Global warming's not going to do it. God Himself's going to do it. I ain't got no argument about climate. They can fuss about climate all they want to. I'm just going to say that's not how the world ends. Read the book of Revelation. That's how the world ends. God Himself's going to destroy this place with fire, the Bible says, in the book of Peter. So it's going to come to its end and probably sooner than most of us even think. I believe we're really close to the end of time. And he says much more than having been justified by his love, for we are the we were the enim, we were enemies for when for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only that but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation God is trying to reconcile the whole world he he is vehement toward Satan He created hell for Satan and his angels. He didn't design that for man to go to. Man has a choice, but here's where we're we're at. Relationships are always a choice. When I walked down the aisle 32 years ago with my wife, I was saying, I'm hers and she's mine. We're forsaking everybody else. Some of that sometimes in a ceremony, forsaking all others. Keep thee only unto thyself. We chose each other. Same thing with God. You choose Him. You don't have a relationship if you don't choose to follow Him. That's why Paul said it's a loss. It's a bond slave. Somebody who has the opportunity to go free and do their own thing, but they choose to stay because their master's so good. That happened in the Old Testament. Paul played on that in the New Testament as well. In other words, I choose to follow Jesus Christ. I am married to Him. There cannot be relationship without a choice. It's forced. God gave you and I free will, even though He never intended for us to go to hell. But He knew that there could not be relationship unless we were able to choose that relationship. You've seen me draw this on the board many times. You could neither sin nor trust if you didn't have a will. You'd be a robot. God didn't make robots. He made us with a will, desiring that we would choose to follow Him, knowing that many would choose to sin instead and live the life. You cannot trust or sin without a will. God gave us a will in hopes that we would trust, knowing that many would choose the life of sin instead. Why? Why would He do that? Relationship. you can't really have a genuine relationship with somebody that don't want to have it with you. Right? You can't do that. So when that wheel is lost or if it's never produced, then there can't really be a relationship. A relationship is two-sided. And so God, rather than make robots who would be mindless, see, the Bible says we bring Him pleasure. Think about that for a minute. It's just like you and I with that child in the crib that can't do a thing. But they bring us pleasure. They make us talk funny and everything. Right? We do weird stuff if people come in there and they saw us making faces and talking funny. And what can they do? This is how we are with God. What can we bring to God to make Him more God? Nothing. We don't make Him any more God. That little child can't mow the grass, can't do nothing, can't even change its own diaper. What's wrong with it? Get up, change your diaper, goodness. Nobody will not fool with that. But yet they bring us pleasure, don't they? You just hold them, love them. That's how we are with God. You're not making God stronger. I'm not making Him stronger. We're certainly not making Him any more lovely. We're not making Him any more knowing, any more seeing, any more hearing, although some people think they are doing that part. I'll take care of this for you, God. I'll gossip about it for you. We don't do anything for God other than bring Him pleasure. So what's He after? He's after a relationship. He wants you to suit up with His armor. He wants you to follow His way. And He wants you to be His. That's what God's after. He said He'd fight our battles. He'd fill our mouths. He just wants us to be followers and worship Him. He'll take care of us. God, in the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm digging around on these words that's, that's taking me in some tunnels. There's a word that I've been working with in the Old Testament. I didn't bring it out here today. That means God takes responsibility for us. And nowhere is that more clear than in the New Testament. By giving us His Holy Spirit? Are you kidding me? Have you seen what some people have done? And He's willing to give us His Holy Spirit? He hung His Son on the tree, and then He's willing to give His Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And some of us are hard to get along with. I mean, you think about the good things that God does for us. And all He's after is relationship. Where we love Him first. And everything comes after that. He wants you. And so God's going to work on you and me. And He's going to make us... That's what He's after. I don't care how old you are in the Lord or how long you've traveled, there'll be things come up sometimes you'll think. That's me and not him. Because God's working on eternal creatures. So he's going to let you be in a war. You've got to stay engaged. He's going to let us face tribulation. He's given us the equipment to work with so we're not destroyed. And he's bringing us through this season to build character in us. That's what God's after. And that's what he did in David. That's what he did in Abraham. That's what he did in Moses. That's what he did in Peter. All of them. None of these guys were perfect. But God worked in their lives and kept building character in them. His own son is our example. And this is where we're trying to go. The character that takes us to the place that says, not my will, but your will be done. Let's stand our feet. The preacher I know, Went through the checkout line. This happened to me a couple times, but he got a chance to really witness. He went through the checkout line, got ready to get in his car, and looked at his money in his hand. The, the uh, checkout lady had given him too much money back. So he went back into the store. Now, probably 60 years ago, everybody would have done that, mostly everybody. Now, it's few and far between because the girl was shocked. She was shocked that he would bring that money back, especially because it was like $2. She was a younger girl, and she said, she expressed her being shocked. She said, why would you do that? And he said, because I'm not willing to mess my relationship up with my Lord for two bucks. he said, we've all got to learn to live our lives in the audience of one. It's just you and God. He's trying to build character in us so we won't take the two bucks. Father, we thank you for this moment we have. Everybody in this room, Lord, is guilty of shortchanging you in some way or another or has been at some point in their lives. It's easy to justify why we're not more committed. It's easy to justify why it's, we're already home. We're 30 miles away from the grocery store. It's easy to justify that. But you're looking for the people who won't skip things, who won't sell out for two bucks who won't rob you or who won't make excuses of why we're not more committed just pray God that everybody in the sound of my voice that needs to do some business with you this morning and quit making excuses maybe it's somebody watching us around the world maybe it's somebody here in this building and you quit making excuses, today's your day to turn, to turn your back on those things and walk full with the Lord. As so we worship Him, this altar is open.